Morning, church. Good to see everybody here. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 20 this morning, if you want to turn there in your copy of the scriptures. If you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Kelly. I serve as senior pastor. It's a delight to do so. It's good to have Alex with us this morning from Poplar Creek Church. It's good for any number of reasons. Uh, his mentioning of the communion that our two elder boards took together last winter um, is a time and place I'll never forget as they have an elder named Daryl, whom if you've been regular here in worship, he's been on our platform and he spoke and he's 91. I'll never forget Daryl's communion reflection, the time we, we shared together. He talked about ministry behind the Iron Curtain before um, uh, communist leadership in, in the Eastern Bloc of Europe had fallen. I think the year he was speaking of was 1989. And he was ministering in a, in a communist setting, and the church was secret, underground gathering, and he talked about sharing in communion, and they, they had to be very careful about being vocal. So he said they just held up the communion elements, and everybody nodded. We know what that's about. We know what that symbolizes. Already, already choked up. <laughs> Such a blessing for, for any number of reasons. Whew. One of the reasons it's a blessing to me personally is that Daryl's 91, and he's run a really good race. Fought the good fight, which I want to talk about this morning. All right, what else? What's in my notes here? Let's see. <laughs> Whew. Whether you're a guest or a long-time attender, I want to encourage you to give. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For all of us, wherever we're at in the journey of faith, one of the best ways to identify with the people of God, the purposes of God, and the person of God himself is to fund with your finances, your hard-earned cash, what God is doing in the world. So we give at Glowing Bible Church to help others follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to give. Most of us give online. You can do that with the address on the screen. If you came ready to give this morning, you have it in hand, you can drop it in a black box out in the foyer. I want to begin with the question this morning. It's one I ask myself often. We may not be able to answer it, this question in the affirmative this morning, but Christians will always have the desire to do so. Here's the question. Are you fighting the good fight of faith? I ask this question because this was Paul's charge to Pastor Timothy and his charge to all the souls under Timothy's care in the ancient city of Ephesus. Fight the good fight of faith. Here's the verse on the screen from Paul's first letter to Timothy. But you, man of God... Flee from all this. Now, the fleeing, the running away from, uh, the immediate context is the love of money. Flee from that and flee towards, run towards, pursue these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called when you made your good confession in the presence of 
many witnesses. I wonder if he's talking about Timothy's baptism there. A lot to unpack in these verses. These aren't even our primary verses for the morning. Uh, But I think we need to wrestle this morning with what does it mean practically day to day to fight the good fight of faith. Sadly, many of us may need to first answer or wrestle with the reality that fighting is even a part of our faith. Let's be honest, most people don't like to fight. I like to fight. It's a strength and it's a weakness. Not everybody likes to fight. Not everybody's wired for fighting. We're looking, many of us, for peace not conflict. I understand that. But the world in which we live is described as a battlefield. That's our context. A place in which spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, I'm quoting Paul, are attacking the people of God in an effort to undermine God's purposes in the world. So this means we may need to first answer the question, do we see the battle? Do we see the context in which we live? If we see the battle, then we'll understand the need to fight. We can better assess whether we're running away from the fight or running towards the fight. In today's passage, Moses affirms instructions on warfare for the Israelites. They've been at war before, but now they're about to enter the promised land, and they're going to face at least seven nations, and then nations on the on the border, they they need to fight. They need to physically arm themselves and take what God has for them. They need to engage enemy nations in physical warfare. I'm going to read the first nine verses of Deuteronomy 20. It'll be on the screen as well. When you go to war against your enemies and you see, visually you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours you're outnumbered you're outmanned do not be afraid of them because the lord your god who brought you up out of egypt will be with you when you're about to go into battle the priest shall come forward and he's going to address the army He's going to say, hear, O Israel, hear. Today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Second time. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. I often told my children, it's, <clears throat> you have to fight. You don't have to be good at fighting, but you've got to get into the battle. You, you have to fight. You don't have to be good at it because, frankly, we're not the ones who win it. The Lord gives us victory, but you've got to fight. The officers shall say to the army, so we've had the priests address the army, now the officers are going to step to the plate. Has anyone built a new house and not yet begun to live in it? Let him go home, or he may die in battle and someone else may begin to live in it. Very practical instructions. We don't want anybody distracted on the battlefield. 
Has anyone planted a vineyard and not begun to enjoy it? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else enjoy it. Really practical instructions. It's easy to get distracted in battle. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home or he may die in battle and someone else is going to marry her. Really practical. Then the officers are going to add this. Is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home. So that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. Really practical. When the officers have finished speaking to the army, they shall appoint a commander, our commanders over it. We'll stop there, we'll pause there for this morning. Over and over again, warfare is re- a repeated motif in Scripture. The Old Testament's filled with warfare. King David sang songs. He sang songs, lyrics, which said, The Lord has trained my hands for warfare. Psalm 144 and Psalm 18. In the New Testament, Paul describes Christians as soldiers. Paul's exact invitation to Pastor Timothy in his second letter to Pastor Timothy is to join him in suffering, and then he says, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And of course, the Bible closes with an enormous battle, the Battle of Armageddon, a universal proportion to this battle that will settle it once and for all. God will triumph over his enemies and deliver peace into the world and will be done with evil. So the good news is that there is coming a day, according to Isaiah, when humanity will beat their swords into plowshares. A time is coming, in other words, when nations will no longer battle one another. Warfare will not be an eternal motif. It is a strong biblical motif, but a time is coming when peace will rule our planet, and that's when our Savior returns. He'll bring an end to the conflict. But war is the reality of our planet now because there are spiritual forces in rebellion against God, and humanity joined that rebellion in the Garden of Eden by choosing choosing sin over obedience. So while we wait for the day when God will secure peace once and for all, we now live. Today, our reality is a battle, and we must fight. Moses is uh, focused on helping the Israelites get ready for battle and understanding how, how to enter battle and succeed in battle. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' effort to prepare Israel to receive their inheritance, which is the promised land, a land inhabited by seven other nations. For the last 40 years, Israel has been wandering in the wilderness, but they are finally ready to cross over the Jordan. They're finally ready to go into Canaan, face those nations, and take what the Lord has for them, this inheritance. However, as you can tell in this morning's passage, Israel is not a passive participant in the experience. No. They're not passive, inactive. No, they're to be highly active. They must take hold, to use Paul's words. They must fight to enjoy, to receive the inheritance God has for them, to enjoy what God has for them. They have to pick up swords and spears and shields, and they must march into battle. Are we fighting the good fight? That is to say, are we active participants 
in taking hold of the blessings God has for us, or are we living passive, inactive? It may seem strange to some of us, the call for Israel to fight for their inheritance. The very gift that God is giving them, that is the promised land. It may seem strange to us in that we tend to think of possessions, what we own, as falling into one of two categories. There are those possessions we have received as gifts, and then there are those possessions we have purchased with our earnings. We typically divide our possessions into one of those two categories. Take a quick mental inventory of your home and all that's in it, and you can probably quickly divide your possessions into the things you've received as gifts and the things you've purchased with your hard-earned cash, the things you've earned, so to speak, acquired. There's that vase from Aunt Jenny given as a wedding gift that sits in the bottom of the cabinet and collects dust eternally, a gift at our wedding, right? Then there's the new sofa, which was purchased a couple years ago after saving up cash and going to the store and buying it and feeling a sense of accomplishment and placing it where we thought it would serve our family best. A possession earned and acquired through effort. Very understandable that we would divide our possessions into those categories. It makes sense, but that's not at all how Scripture describes our material reality. Scripture teaches that everything we have in life is a gift from God. Our bodies, gifts from God. Our talents, gifts from God. Our health, relationships, our salvation. Absolutely everything we have, we have received from God. We haven't earned anything in that even the opportunity and the energy needed to go to work to collect a paycheck is something he's provided for us. There's an immense liberty in that realization. And thankfulness should bubble up, and a gratefulness, and a gratitude, and it should take a lot of burden off of us. We're stewards, not owners. So here's the truth. All we have, we have received as a gift. And we also actively participate in receiving those gifts and enjoying those gifts. We don't earn God's gifts, but we do actively participate in receiving them and enjoying them to their fullest, making the most of what we've been given. As an aside, it's interesting to consider that one of the larger objections to Christianity is that God's election and his predestination of those whom he is saving turns humanity into puppets. Without the power needed to really exercise volition, exercise will. However, passages like today's passage, Deuteronomy chapter 20, when Moses is giving instructions on they must actively go into the promised land that God is giving them, and they they must lay hold of it, it demonstrates with great clarity that we're anything but puppets in the work of God to save us. 
The truth is God's election, his predestination, empowers our will to fight against sin. It enables us to live righteously. As the Israelites obey the directions given to fight the Canaanites, then God acts on their behalf to give them victory. Remember what the priest said, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. For Israel to experience the power of God in battle, to ultimately enjoy the victory of God in Canaan, and receive the inheritance promised to them, they had to fight. This is still our reality today. It's still our reality today. Jesus himself said, apart from him, we can do nothing. John 15, 5. Nada. Nothing. But through his power at work within us, we can do all things. Philippians 4, 13. Make sure you understand. We do not cause our salvation. We do participate. We do not earn eternal life, but we certainly fight to take hold of it. Let me read another of Paul's charges that draws this distinction with even greater clarity. Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, you've always obeyed, continue, not only now in my presence, but, how, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. You've always obeyed, continue to obey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God's at work in you. It's God who works in in us. We must learn that the grace of God we have received is not opposed to the efforts of his people. Discipline is an essential part of discipleship. The Holy Spirit's been working in my life lately to accentuate the reality that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And there can seem like, uh, that can seem counterintuitive to us. Well, if it's a fruit of the Spirit, it's the Spirit's fruit, and He's giving me self-control? Well, which is it? Is it the Spirit or me? It's the Spirit in me so that I am enabled and empowered to make decisions that bring him glory and honor. Discipline is an essential part of discipleship. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to an idea of earning. We're not earning. But we are investing. We are, are in fact, to make great efforts to obey to work out our salvation, to fight the good fight. To do so is a matter of faith, which means not to do so is a matter of sin. And we all know what sin brings in our lives. Sin brings death. It brings loss. To live passive and inactive as Christians Failing to fight is to live a sinful life. 
We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus' work, apart from anything we have done, are doing, or will do in the future. We're saved completely by grace through faith in another man. Four good works. Fighting the good fight, the desire to fight, the desire to be active, to bear fruit, to live righteous, to, to not pursue the love of money, the context of the initial fight the good fight charge, and to pursue righteousness and holiness and godliness, that desire means that God is saving you. He's at work in your life. So get busy. Again, Paul puts a fine point on it in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, verses we should all memorize for our own benefit. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one in here can boast. For we are God's handiwork. This is something God's doing in our lives. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's prepared works in advance for us to do. He's called us to himself so that we can get busy doing what he's prepared us to do. God's at work in us so that we can do good works. Are we accomplishing the works prepared in advance for us to do? Are we about what God's called us to do? I mean that individually, and I mean it collectively. God's called this community at 501 Hillside and on Schick Road, Poplar Creek Church, to accomplish specific good works. Individually and collectively, are we about what God's called us to do? Are we fighting the good fight? So how do we fight it? What works are we to do? How do we obey? How do we pursue? What what will we do practically, really different, tangibly? We don't swing swords and and throw spears and, and raise tangible shields like ancient Israel did, but we fight. How do we fight? Here is a short biblical list. It's by no means exhaustive. We sing with and to one another. I would challenge you, um, encourage you. Uh, well, Matt Marone's going to preach his first sermon at Glowing Bible Church uh, November 20, and he's going to preach on the Song of Moses. There is no coincidental tie between singing and warfare. Almost all of warfare historically has had song. Uh, There have been people that lead singing. There's been instruments that lead people into battle. God himself sings. We sing with and to one another. We pray with and for others. I am convinced that prayer is a primary means by which we experience the victories God is giving us. We serve sacrificially with our gifts. We join regularly in worship with others. We share our faith. We actively proclaim the truth. We put on the armor of God. We turn the other cheek to forgive. 
We bear one another's burdens. We rejoice in the Lord always. We give thanks. We put to death the sinful nature. We actively kill desires contrary to the Spirit's work in our lives. We put those desires to death. We care for widows and orphans. We follow the Lord in baptism. We confess our sins to one another. We give generously of our finances. It just It's not an exhaustive list, but it is a biblical one. We don't live in ancient Israel, but that doesn't mean we don't have a physical battle to fight. We have a physical battle to fight. Our battle looks differently. The implements of warfare are different than they were for Moses and Joshua as he enters the promised land. Instead of sword and spear and shield, we fight through singing and praying and serving and funding and forgiving and rejoicing and baptizing and confessing. Are you fighting the good fight? If not, what might be holding you back? We could all fight with greater courage, greater conviction. In today's passage, uh, Moses gives some directions that help, are meant to help the Israelites go into battle with great courage. I want to look at them really quickly here. Three times Moses identifies fear as a potential barrier to Israel successfully fighting. And then he functionally removes people from the battle who may be distracted and raise fear within the... They might actually increase the measure of fear among God's people because they're distracted and don't want to suffer loss. Moses encourages Israel not to fear, and then he gives some very specific strategies. Here are three that I gleaned from today's passage. Number one, don't walk by sight. walk by faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7 that we're actually to walk by faith. In today's passage, verse 1, when you go to war against your enemies and you see their horses and chariots and the armies greater than yours, don't be afraid. Some of us are filled with fear because we have our eyes fixed on overwhelming circumstances. Rather than filling your mind with all that is against you, fill your mind with the one who is for you. Who fights to give us victory. Great Old Testament story, read it later today, 2 Kings 17. Elisha, the prophet of God, is traveling with the servant. They camp out, wake up the next morning. The servant gets up, he sees that they're completely surrounded by the enemy. He's terrified. This is Elisha's servant. He's terrified. He says, what are we going to do? And Elisha prays, Lord, open my servant's eyes so he can see that those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And the servant's eyes are open, and he sees the Lord's army encamped around him, defending him. Folks, walk by faith. He that's in us is greater than he that's in the world. Remember God's historic care of you. Don't be afraid, Moses writes, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Recall, remember the Lord's faithfulness to you. Remember his goodness to you. Sherry and I have a journal. The sole purpose of the journal journal is so that we can go back to it and remember what God's done for us. 
because hard times come. Remember, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, dropping plagues on Egypt. You walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. You watched the water swallow up your enemy. The psalmist famously sings that God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He provides for us. Remember that. He provides for us in the presence of our enemies. Even we'll surround it. Remember God's goodness to you historically. If nothing else, remember communion and the elements and all that they symbolize. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came and gave his life for us to provide for us. He will be faithful in the future. I'll ask for an amen there. Let's verbalize our belief that he'll be faithful in the future. Amen? Good. Fight alongside others who are eager to fight. The officers come forward and they give a pass to a number of people. If you've just bought a home and you're afraid you're not going to get to enjoy it, go home. You just plant a vineyard and you're not you're afraid you're never going to drink of its fruit go home if you just got married or pledged to be married and you're distracted by all that go home why because we got something to do we we have to advance we have to take a hill we have to make progress we need to fight and we don't need folks that are distracted we need people on point ready to kick in the gates of hell If we hang out with people, these are Moses' words, who are disheartening, then it's no wonder that we lack courage. Is, verse 8, is anyone are afraid or faint-hearted, let him go home so that his fellow soldiers won't be disheartened. Cowardice is contagious. Who are you hanging out with? Because courage is contagious too. I like to say there are some people that I would welcome into the foxhole with me. The image is one of battle. When your back's against a wall, do you have those people in your life? If we want to win more victories, and I'm talking very practically, if you want to bear more fruit, love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, long-suffering, if, if you want to have more fruit in your life, then hang out with people who are wanting more fruit in their lives. Let us be a community that is not disheartening each other, but is cheering one another on to love and good deeds. Amen? Amen. I'll close there. Let's pray together. Father, have mercy on us if we're disheartening to each other. Give us great courage even now as we prepare to sing. Help us open our mouths in practice, in rehearsing the boldness we want out in the world. Let us raise our voices with great volume testifying to the living hope we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.